Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where Booklist talks to book people. This Shelf Care Interview is sponsored by Learner Publishing Group. I am Ronnie Curry, Senior Editor, Books for Youth, and today I will be talking to Heather Murphy Caps. Heather grew up in a small Minnesota town where the motto is Cows, Colleges, and Contentment. She spent 15 years as a television news journalist before deciding to focus on her favorite kind of writing, books for kids involving history, social justice, science, mystery, and a touch of magic. A mixed-race author committed to diversity in publishing, she lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, two kids, two cats, and yes, even some cows, colleges, and contentment. Indigo and Ida is her debut novel, and it comes out on April 4th. Thank you so much for joining me today, Heather. Thank you, Ronnie. It's great to be here, and thank you to Booklist as well. For those who aren't familiar, could you just kick things off by introducing Indigo and Ida? Yes, absolutely. So Indigo is one of our protagonists. She's an eighth grader. She's an aspiring journalist. Uh, her whole plan at the beginning of the book is that she's trying to do some amazing news stories in order to get back her two best friends who have drifted away from her. And at the same time, she stumbles on a book by journalist and activist Ida B. Wells from the 19th century. And she finds some private letters written by Ida tucked inside that book. And she reads those letters and is prompted to begin investigating some school policies that she discovers that she thinks are not fair rules that aren't being enforced equally. So she worries about these punishments that are sending black and brown students to detention and decides she wants to do something about that. But when she reports on that issue, her dream of popularity starts to slip away, and her friends tell her, hey, you're overreacting. Her classmates say she's too aggressive, too negative, too annoying, which really hurts Indigo's feelings. But Ida gets it, and she continues to delve into Ida's letters and is empowered and strengthened by the idea that Ida spent her whole life battling racism and so she realizes she can do that, too, but she will have to choose between keeping quiet and fighting for justice. Perfect. Thank you. And I, I want to start with the characters slash real people, Indigo and Ida. And so I'm curious just about, about the genesis of the idea, I guess, as far as kind of who came first. Did you start with a character or, or did you start with this concept of, of Ida's inspiration? That's a great question because it all sort of bubbles up all at the same time. But it was actually probably Indigo. She wasn't really Indigo yet. She was an unformed person. But what I did know was that I wanted to write about friendship. I wanted to write about how some friendships flourish for a lifetime and others don't. So I knew that I was going to have a character that would be dealing with friendship and loss. But she didn't really start taking shape until I learned the story of Ida B. Wells' experience at the women's suffrage procession in March of 1913. And for those of you who don't know the story, when Ida B. Wells marched in that procession, she had done a little bit of helping, planning with Alice Paul. Uh, she had been involved in some of the ground efforts to make that whole thing happen and then at the very last minute, right before the procession was to take place, Alice Paul asked her to march at the back of the parade 
with all of the other black women. She uh, was worried that the white Southern women who had a powerful presence in the women's suffrage movement would be upset by Ida's presence in the front of the women's procession. And Ida was, of course, betrayed and furious and hurt and refused to march in the back of the parade. And that was my moment of aha, because I thought, not only do I have this extraordinary journalist with an extraordinary history, uh, but I also have a story of friendship and getting thrown under the bus by somebody she thought was her friend. And that's where I saw Indigo for the first time as well. You mentioned that Indigo was sort of shapeless at first. Can you talk a little bit about her evolution? She, like all of my characters, Indigo started with music and a symbol. I'm I'm big on music. I'm big on song lyrics, uh, or I like classical music too. Something about music helps me shape characters and symbols. And I talk to myself a lot too. So there were a lot of sessions on the treadmill where I talked to you know my my basement. Uh, but ultimately, Indigo took play, took shape with the first lines of a song by the Indigo Girls, which is where she gets her name, a song called Galileo. And it was those first lines, believe it or not, that created the whole scene, uh, which no spoilers here because it's the first page of the book. She's spray painting a sidewalk. And originally, she was spray painting the lines from the song Galileo. And then uh, I developed her campaign theme with the bell, which is her middle name, and also Ida Bell Wells, Ida's middle name. And through that music and those symbols and my conversations with myself, she became a real person. And of course, Ida is a real figure. And I know you have a journalism background, and I, I'm pretty sure you're a big fan of the research. So can you talk a bit about the research you did into her and also the letters? I believe you wrote most of that yourself, right? And that just seems like a fascinating exercise to kind of get into that headspace to write those those Ida letters. So if you could talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right, Ronnie. I'm a total research dweeb. I love that part of the process. And I go down rabbit holes, you know, all the time. This, of course, was a fascinating area to do research because we do have a lot of Ida B. Wells' body of work still with us. So uh, I did most of my research during COVID, so I was confined to what I could get in, in terms of books and, and online. But I read the uh, autobiography she wrote called Crusade for Justice. I wrote, I read her Memphis Diaries. I read two of the very important pamphlets she wrote that really displayed her acumen as an investigative journalist, uh, one called Red Report and one called Southern Horrors. I read a lot of the newspaper columns that still exist. Um, and even with all of that, I still feel like I could have just kept reading forever. Um, she's just such a great writer and so passionate and and just amazingly still writing about things that we're still talking about today. Sometimes it feels like using the same language even. Um, and I will say that in earlier versions of the book, I actually quoted her material directly. I had her pages from her autobiography, pages from the Red Report and Southern Horrors. Uh, and and that was my early thinking about ways to represent what was going on with her in the areas where it was intersecting with Indigo's life. But 
as much as she is talking about issues that we are still dealing with today, the language is still very 19th century. And ultimately, we were my team and I were really looking to make sure she was accessible by a 21st century audience. So that's what led to my rewriting those letters in my own voice. Uh, and and again, looking to make those experiences accessible to our 21st century audience. And that was an interesting experience as well. I absolutely loved it and felt that I almost felt like it helped me dig in deeper to who she was and what motivated her and what mattered to her. Let me shift gears a bit to to kind of focus on your audience. So in your Twitter bio, you describe yourself as an upper middle grade author, which is very exciting to me because that is my favorite category. And it's one that the industry has sort of been slow to catch on to, I think. So I'm curious just how you would describe kind of the distinction between upper middle grade and either middle grade or YA, and why is it um, an important category to highlight? I'm so with you. It is is such an important category, and it is definitely one that needs more love. The upper middle grade category is crucial and has been up to now largely ignored. Um, We've got a great space there, though, for readers who have outgrown the middle, middle grade, so to speak, but aren't ready thematically for what the young adult books are focusing on. We all know that kids read up, right? So we know we've got these 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds who are wanting to read about people older than them. And these readers are looking for material that's thematically more challenging than what they've been looking at, but they don't need something quite as sophisticated as what they're getting in the current young adult books, which are also appealing to truly a new adult category. So we're looking at kids who are still dealing with developmentally, still identifying with family and friends and figuring out who they are within those spaces, but they are beginning the process of identifying who they are outside of those spaces, too. So it's sort of that liminal space in between the two. And they are beginning to move from being mostly observational about people and what people do to starting to be analytical and looking at why is someone doing that? Where is that coming from? And they're not looking entirely at one way or another, but somewhere in between. And I really feel strongly that upper middle grade is the place for those readers to be seen and see others as well, just like them. And going off of that, you're dealing with kind of the middle grade stuff of friends and family, but you're also addressing some heavy and nuanced topics. So how did you sort of tailor that approach to this upper middle grade audience? It was definitely an interesting challenge. And I, again, I think it it has a lot to do with that space that these older middle grade readers are in where they are moving beyond being observational and starting to look at motivation. They, they're looking at where, where do ethics and morals fit in my world and in the world around me and how do I want to fit in to, to those ethics and morals and behaviors And of course, in a book like Indigo and Ida, where that's what it's all about, we're looking at what feels good, what feels right, what helps me feel as though I am doing the right thing and being seen and doing right by others. Definitely nuanced topics and definitely topics that you don't necessarily have a conversation about 
with an 11-year-old the way you would with a 25-year-old, but definitely not beyond the grasp or the interest of an 11-year-old. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I can't help kind of drawing a parallel between Indigo's campaign and the story and your writing of this book. Because in the sense that, you know, they both require courage and it's a scary world out there for people making these kinds of statements. But I wanted to ask you directly without assuming, uh, what is it that you hope readers take away from the story? Oh, I think absolutely there are the the parallels you're thinking about. And I, I you know, every, I think it's fair to say every writer hopes that their book will find some way to empower its readers. And so that is where I, I begin. I, I hope that all readers, and of course, girls especially of this age, but boys too, and people who identify as non-binary, any reader who is looking to be seen and looking to find the courage to use their voice when they see something that doesn't look right or feel right or find someone who isn't being treated in ways that are fair I hope that they'll find ways to use this book to remind them that it's okay to speak up and it's also okay to withstand criticism. Criticism is so hard to deal with, but if you can see that someone else else withstood it and survived it, then you know it's survivable and you can do it too. We are approaching the end of our time. I did want to give you the opportunity to tell us about from the mixed up files of middle grade authors and your work on the we need diverse middle grade i just kind of think it would be important to make sure our listeners are aware of that if you don't mind oh thank you so much for asking i really appreciate that yes i am on the administrative team for the blog mixed up files of middle grade authors and uh i after being on that team for a couple of years i noticed that we didn't have a dedicated space to amplify the voices of creators of color. And I really felt strongly that in blogs like ours, we we have a lot of really great contributors. And I think we have a lot of contributors who are mindful and thoughtful of spaces for creators, creators of color. Uh, But we just didn't have a space that was dedicated. And so I created We Need Diverse Middle Grade with that as our mission. We amplify, we give space for, we do interviews and guest posts and even cover reveals every now and then, looking to center creators of color and issues in publishing and in writing or creating in whatever way so that we can be the story in those posts rather than the also ran, which sometimes feels like we are in other posts. Yes, and I believe that URL is from the mixedupfiles.com. Yes, it is from the mixedupfiles.com, yes. Excellent. So everyone be sure to check that out and just be generally aware of it. Indigo Nida really is a fantastic book and I think it's an important one. So be sure to check that out. Um Heather, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Ronnie. I really appreciate your invitation to join you here today. It's been wonderful chatting. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone else, for listening to the Shelf Care interview. This Shelf Care interview was sponsored by Learner Publishing Group, the publisher of Indigo and Ida, which again is available everywhere on April 4th. 
Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>